Today, we are continuing in our study on Matthew. I don't even, I don't know what number we're on, but we're on part five just of the Sermon on the Mount. It's like a mini series within the series. And I'm really finding this challenging uh, personally because I think the Sermon on the Mount is meant to challenge us personally. It is, in many ways, the Sermon on the Mount is very confrontational. It is to jar us, to shake us out of our comfort zones and our complacency. It's also difficult to teach because in many ways the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount is one main idea. And so by breaking it up and looking at little pieces, I'm afraid we're going to lose that main idea. At the same time, there's so many important things that he's talking about that I want to give them the time that they need. So today we're talking about how not to be a hypocrite. You know, the Sermon on the Mount talks about a lot of sin, sins that people struggle with. And, and I think sometimes when Bible, when scripture mentions sin, we might think, oh, that one's not that big a deal, or I don't know, I kind of like that thing. I, I'm kind of drawn to that. It's not that big a deal. I don't know how many people would say, oh yeah, I really enjoy being a hypocrite. Like even our culture is kind of against hypocrisy. This is not just a Christian thing. But I thought I would start with a question. Um, and, and you actually can talk. You can give me answers. What is a hypocrite? Anybody want to give me a, a very brief definition? Because it's my sermon. A uh, brief definition of, of what, what is a hypocrite? Somebody, throw out a definition. Anybody. Okay, somebody who says... He is something and he's not that. Yeah. You just keep on doing it. You don't care. That's good. I mean, it's not good that if somebody does that, but that's a good answer. Anybody else? A faker. Outside is different than inside. Good. Say one thing, but does another. That, that's, I think that's almost word perfect for what I have in my notes. Someone who believes one thing and yet says another. That is kind of our definition of a hypocrite. I say I believe in treating people well, but I don't treat them well. I say I believe in Jesus, but I live my life as if he doesn't exist. You could go on and on and on. I say these things are important, but I live differently. There is a difference between the inside and the outside. What's interesting is as we come to this passage, Jesus will use the term hypocrite several times, and he actually uses it a bit different than that. And I think it's very challenging to see how he uses it. It incorporates our understanding of hypocrite, but I think it broadens it as well. So we're going to be, I pray, challenged by that. We are in verses, uh, chapter, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. And in this passage, Jesus is going to talk about three main subjects, giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. Three, what he calls acts of righteousness. And these were pillars, staples of the Jewish faith. It was so interesting sitting in adult Sunday school this morning as Bill was talking about spiritual disciplines. These were kind of their three main spiritual disciplines. They're three pillars of living out the Old Testament law almsgiving or caring for the poor, giving to the poor, prayer and fasting. These were important as they lived out their faith. And this was known in their day. This was a common subject. These three things were so important. 
And so Jesus is tying into something that they all agreed already, this is important. The problem is that they were doing it as hypocrites. And they might not even have known it. And so ultimately in this section, what Jesus is teaching them is not so much the importance of giving to the needy. In fact, he doesn't even talk about the importance of it. He's not really talking about the importance of prayer, although he goes a little more in depth on that one. And he's not even talking about the importance of fasting. Now, don't get me wrong. We can go elsewhere in scripture to talk about the importance of those things. It's just that's not actually Jesus's point here. What he's saying is be careful not to allow these things to make you a hypocrite. And so we need to start with Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. What is the heart of hypocrisy? Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. And in these three things, giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting, they all come under this banner of the heart of hypocrisy. So let's look at verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Be careful not to do or not to practice your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. I want to take this phrase by phrase. We're going to spend most of the sermon in this one verse. Then we're going to fly through the rest of it. Because honestly, this is his sermon. The other things are his illustrations. That's kind of the way Jesus is doing this. So he starts with be careful. The the Greek word there means to pay attention, focus on something. It was actually used of bringing a ship into port or to dock. Be careful. Draw near. And as you draw near, be very, very careful. This is a warning here that we must not take these things lightly. We must pay attention. And I think it's because Jesus understands something that I I would assume many of us are learning as well. And that is that all religion, and I mean that in the most broadest sense, just a relationship with God, all Christian disciplines, as Bill's teaching, all spiritual living, can tend to or has a tendency to slide into hypocrisy unless we are careful. Be careful. Pay attention. And he's talking about our acts of righteousness. Jesus assumes that they are giving to the needy. He's not challenging them to do that. He's assuming it because it was already taught. He assumes that they're praying. He assumes that they are fasting. What his emphasis is on here is how and why they should do these things. And this is helpful because we can apply it broadly to things today. Yes, we should give to the needy. Yes, we should pray. Yes, we should fast. But there's a lot of other aspects of our relationship with God that we need to look at and say, where do I need to be careful that I'm not sliding into hypocrisy? And here's where he gets to the gist of hypocrisy. He says, be careful not to do these things in front of others to be seen by them. And throughout the rest of the passage, he's going to use that word hypocrite. And the Greek word hypocrite was the exact same word as an actor. An actor who got up on stage, who did a play, was a hypocrite. 
It didn't necessarily have a negative connotation, but it meant you were playing a role. You were putting on a part. It wasn't necessarily you doing it. Now, we use this to mean someone who lives in a way inconsistent with what they believe. You see their actions, but they don't really mean that. They don't really believe that. Their heart is in a different place. That's how we use hypocrite. But the way Jesus is using this, he's actually making no comment on the status of their heart. These people in this passage that are giving to the needy may be doing so with the best of intentions. They may be doing so because they believe in the Old Testament law. They believe in the Lord their God. They are trying to live in obedience. They may have a good heart. The problem is not necessarily their heart. The problem is mostly their audience. Who is their audience? For Jesus, that's the heart of hypocrisy, is the answer to that question, who is your audience? Who do you want to see you doing these things. I think this is even more challenging. Because if we just say, well, I just need to make sure that my heart matches my actions, we can look and go, no, I really mean these things. Therefore, it's good. But Jesus takes it a step further and he says, who do you want to see you doing these things? We may be very sincere and authentic in our acts of righteousness in our religion and in our relationship with Christ and living that out. But if our goal is for others to see that, then according to Jesus, we are hypocrites. Ouch. And he says, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Throughout this passage, Jesus connects the idea of who is your audience, that's where you get your reward. If your goal is for people to see how awesome of a Christian you are, you might actually get that. They might see that and be amazed at you. They might applaud you. It might be wonderful that they hold you up as the shining example of religiosity, but that's all you're going to get. So be careful what you ask for is what Jesus is saying here. And the audience determines the reward. If the people around us are our audience, if that's who we want to see our spiritual life, that's all the reward we're going to get. But if God is our audience, then he is our great reward. Now, let me remind you of the context. We've looked at this every, I think every Sunday we've been in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 This is before the Sermon on the Mount, but Matthew tells us Jesus begins his public ministry and Matthew sums up his preaching by saying, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then a short while later, he says, and now Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. So if this sums up Jesus's teaching, then all that Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount specifically applies to the concept of who must repent. And the answer in this section, is the hypocrites. If we are a hypocrite, we need to repent. Turn away from that. Call it what it is. It is sin and it is wrong. Turn away from it. But don't forget the second part. Turn toward the Savior, Jesus Christ. So the goal is not just to make us feel guilty and just to make us feel awful. That can lead to despair. The goal is to make us turn from that to the hope that we have in Jesus 
Christ. So, as we look at giving to the needy and prayer and fasting, I want you to notice three things for each, okay? One is the audience. Who is the audience? Who are they doing these things for? Number two, what is the reward? What is the gain that they're getting from these things? And number three, what is true righteousness? Jesus is going to say, this is what it should look like. This is how you should do this or why you should do this. This is true righteousness that is not tainted by hypocrisy. So as we look at these three things, it will help us to understand Jesus's understanding of the heart of hypocrisy. Okay, so let's go through quickly these three things and then we'll come back and apply it to us. Jesus starts with giving to the needy. This is a command in Scripture. All three of these are command in Scripture. But Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you. It's a command by God to his people. I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. There are others as well that deal with the aliens in their land, those that aren't Israel. They were also commanded to care for the poor and needy there. There's commands about widows and orphans, and they were to help them out. God gave his people the law to say, now you are living in a relationship with me, and that makes you different than everybody else. And this is how you are to live it out. This is what makes you different. And part of that was a justice in their land, caring for one another. Now, As important as it was, just like all other acts of righteousness, it tends to slide into hypocrisy. And so Jesus points out, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So who's their audience when they give to the needy? Ironically, Well, first, obviously, it's not God. Ironically, secondly, it's not even the people that they're helping. Their audience is the people that they want to see them helping these people. That's their audience. They, They want it to be announced. They want the gold plaque on the wall that says, I gave this amount of money. Can I just tell you, as long as I'm the pastor of Orchard Community Church, we will have no plaques in this church. I'm sorry, but I really struggle with that. And I get it. You have long-term people that give. That's wonderful. But if you give money, do it for the glory of God. And if we put a plaque up, may it say for the glory of God. Because it's not about us and our name being remembered. It's about him. I probably just stepped on some toes. As far as I know, we have no plaque. So that's, we're good. But, and he says they have received their reward in full. Now, Imagine that. These people are actually satisfied. I announced it. I gave to the poor and you (laughs) applauded it. They're full. They're happy. They're content. They got what they wanted. And that's all they're going to get. They're missing out on such a greater blessing. And so Jesus teaches, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is in secret will reward you. Let me point out a key aspect of Jesus's correction. 
He's saying, look, you're being hypocritical in how you give to the poor. His remedy is not, so therefore stop giving to the poor because you're doing it with the wrong heart. Now, you might kind of laugh at that, but how I've heard so many people, I really started a morning devotional time, and then I realized I was doing it for the wrong reason, so I just had to stop. No! No, no, that's not the correction. The correction is not stop doing the things that you should be doing. It's stop doing it for the wrong reason. Put your heart in the right place. So he says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And the key phrases here are in secret. Nobody needs to know that you're caring for those people because they're not your audience. That's not your audience. He says, then your father who sees what is done in secret, understand the faith behind that sentence. My God sees and knows And that's all that matters. That's faith. You see, a lack of faith says if nobody sees it, it doesn't count. That's not faith in Jesus. That's faith in ourselves and faith in the people around us. And he says, your father will reward you. Now, we don't have time to get into the concept of rewards here. But understand that ultimately, if we go back to uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's the reward. When we trust in God, we get God. When we seek his kingdom, we get his kingdom. This is not about God showering us with riches. This is about God showering us with God. His presence, his care in our life. And he says, when you are doing things so that God will see, God indeed sees it. And he cares for you and he watches over you. These themes will repeat in the other two topics. Live out your faith in secret. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean nobody should ever see it. He's not saying just wrap up your Christianity under a big overcoat and and slink around incognito so that nobody knows that you're a Christian. That's not what he's saying because he just said a little while ago, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. That's not what he's talking about. But what he is saying is don't do these things just for people to see We should be giving to the needy. It is right and it is good. But Jesus' point here is not actually to teach them to give to the needy. It's to teach them to be careful not to be hypocrites as they are doing it. So I want to be careful. I don't want anybody leaving today saying, the pastor said that Jesus doesn't think this is important. That's not what I'm saying. Or or Pastor Dave doesn't think giving to the needy is important. That's not what I'm saying. It is hugely important. It's just not what he's saying here. And I'm preaching this text. Okay? You good? Just know the emails I'm going to get. Okay. (laughs) Prayer. He goes on in chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Now, this section is different. And I really struggled with this. uh, Because there's this little-known passage in the middle of this called the Lord's Prayer. Maybe some of you have heard of it. How many of you have heard of the Lord's Prayer? Yeah. Here's what we're going to do. The Lord's Prayer is actually in the context of talking about hypocrisy. So I'm going to deal with it that way this week. Next week, we're going to come back and just look at the Lord's Prayer. Okay? So if you were really excited to like dig into the Lord's Prayer this week, I'm sorry. We're going to do that next week. But we're going to look at it briefly in context. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, 
So there's, here's the formula, right? And when you do not be like the hypocrites. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. So again, is the remedy stop praying? No, it's not the remedy. That's not the solution. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Jesus will use this illustration other places. He'll talk about, look at that person over there that's standing up and just saying, oh, Lord, loud enough that everybody can hear. And he points to the poor person who's just, you know, downcast and quiet and nobody hears. And he holds up that person as an example of faith and not the powerful and rich person. So this was a thing in the Jewish community. They wanted people to see how incredible their prayers were, how meaningful and passionate. They wanted to stand up in groups and just have everybody hear how amazing their prayer was. Who was their audience? It wasn't God. The irony that in prayer you could be talking about God, supposedly talking to God, and yet he's not even your audience. You're praying so that other people are impressed. And Jesus again says they have received their reward in full. He's giving them the slow clap. Congratulations, you just impressed people. And that's it. Here's the correction. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. There's that faith again. Nobody notices. Nobody gives you a better grade. Nobody thinks more highly of you for your prayer. But the Father, whom you trust in, even though you don't see him, he sees, he knows, he hears, and he rewards. Now, something very interesting happens in verses 7 and 8 that is different than the other two sections. Because he's been talking about hypocrisy, but now he's going to shift from warning against hypocrisy to warning against something the pagans do. And this is helpful. Verses 6 and 7, And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans. Actually, it's 7 and 8, sorry. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus, and I love this this about Jesus, and I love this about Paul and so many of the other ones, they'll, they'll be on a roll about their topic, and they have this thing they want to talk about, but it's like they need to step out and say, oh, we have to talk about this for a second. And Jesus is saying, and another thing here, not only should you not be like the hypocrites that are trying to impress the people, he says, but specifically in prayer, here's another danger, praying to impress God. Praying to impress God. Oh, well, that's, he's seeing what's in secret. Isn't that a heart in the right place? And he's saying, no. See, the pagans were the outsiders, the non-Jewish people. And Jewish religion had order and structure, and there was the Old Testament law, and there was a way to worship. But the pagan religions were much more about passion and zeal and fervor and getting excited. Have you heard the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel from the Old Testament? I love this passage. Right, Elijah, the prophet of, the God, of God, he gets up and he challenges the prophets of Baal to a, a showdown. And he says, you prepare a sacrifice to your gods, and I'll prepare a sacrifice to the one true God. And, and nobody lights fire to their sacrifice. We'll see which God shows up and lights fire to the sacrifice. We'll see how this goes. 
First Kings 18, 26 to 29 says this, Then the pagan priests of Baal, then they, called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. And we always chuckle at that. But that's actually what they thought. You have to get your gods or goddesses' attention. They might be sleeping. They might be busy. They might be in the bathroom. No joke. They thought these things. So all of their religious fervor was to get the gods and goddesses' attention. And the more crazy you were, the more they had to pay attention to you. So he's mocking them, but in a way that they actually believed. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. And we read that and go, what a bunch of fools. That's just ridiculous. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And in the passage, Elijah steps up and just prays, God, I know you are the one true God. Make yourself known. Boom. Sacrifice ignites on fire. The rocks around it, the dirt around it, the water that had been poured on it. God shows up. Not because Elijah got his attention and went, wow, that guy is so super spiritual. I better do something. But because he's God. And the other gods and goddesses are not. And he is sovereign. Now understand what Jesus is saying here. When you pray, there's no magic formula to get God to answer you. And it's not about repeating things over and over and over and over and over and over again until God gets so annoyed at you, he goes, fine, I'll answer you. And it's not about being so passionate that he takes notice of you. That's not the God we serve. Jesus specifically says, don't be like the pagans. We must be careful not to be hypocrites in prayer by praying to impress other people. But we equally must be careful not to be like the pagans in prayer by praying to impress God. God is not impressed by our prayers. Prayer is an act of dependence on God, not manipulation of God. When we get that wrong, Our heart is in the wrong place. And that's actually what leads into the Lord's Prayer. And I'm just going to read it. Again, we're not going to spend time today looking at it. But it's in this context of don't just babble that he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We're going to look at all of that next week. But think about it. Who should be the audience for our prayers? God. Even when people get up here to pray during an offertory or for the service or you're praying in a small group, you're not praying to the people sitting there. That's idolatry. You're praying to God. They just happen to be listening in. 
And he says, seek the reward of God's glory and God's kingdom. Finally, he says fasting, verses 16 through 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Notice again the the audience here. Fasting is supposed to be a declaration of absolute dependence on God. It's a reminder that more than any physical thing, I need God. And so you take the most basic of physical necessities, food, and you say, I'm going to withhold that to constantly remind myself I need God more. That's fasting. That's what it is all about. They used it as an opportunity to show people how awesome they were. And so when they fasted, they would wear certain clothes. They would mess their hair up. They would walk around, oh, no, no, I'm fasting. No, no, you go ahead and eat. I'm fasting. I'm so spiritual. I could tell you how spiritual I am, but we don't have time to go on. They wanted people to know. Jesus says, take a shower. I'm putting this in modern terms. Clean yourself up. Get dressed. Brush your hair. Don't walk around with misery on your face so that everybody asks you what's wrong. He says, nobody should know that you're fasting because you're not doing it for them. They are not your audience. The audience should be your heavenly father. And the reward that we seek should be whatever God wants to give us. Period. I thought about how to apply this to us today. And three contemporary applications really stuck out to me. And the first is, let's see if I can put this in my own words. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before people to be seen by them. That's, that's the first contemporary application. Now, that might sound very familiar because that's exactly what Jesus told them. We struggle with the exact same thing. Be careful. Check your heart. Who's your audience? What reward are you, are you seeking? Ask yourself those questions if you want to avoid being a hypocrite. Who is your audience? And if the audience is not God, if the one you are seeking to please is not God, if the one you want to notice is not God, if the one you are trying to glorify is not God, you might be a hypocrite. Even if your heart is in the right place and you're living out what you believe, if you're doing it for the wrong audience, you might be a hypocrite. Secondly, we need to be careful of social media. The more I thought about this and prayed about this, I just thought about the inherent danger and compulsion of social media that compels us to put things online so that a vast audience can see into our life and see what we are doing. Now, there is good usage of social media, okay? I want to be careful here. I'm not saying get off. It's all garbage. I'm not saying that now. I do believe that, but I'm not saying it now. (laughs) I'm kidding. kidding. It's wonderful. It's awesome. 
It can be used for profound mission work and evangelism and just keeping contact. It can be, but understand there is an inherent danger and compulsion in social media to put your acts of righteousness online. People don't need to see what you did in your devotions that morning. Be careful. Be careful. Now, you might say, but I, I post that as, a, as an encouragement to others. Okay, check your heart and make sure that's actually what you're hoping for. Make sure it's not, I want them to see that I did this. Just be careful. Because there is a natural tendency in social media that could pull us in this direction of hypocrisy. Thirdly, what I'll call experiential religion. Jesus talks about a warning about our audience. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness to be seen by others. If I could put this to a very contemporary problem in the church of Jesus Christ today, it would be this. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness to be experienced by you. Do you see the subtle shift there? One hypocrite says, my audience is everybody around me and I want them to see what I'm doing so they feel that I'm so odd, uh, just awesome. I think in experiential religion, we switch the others as our audience for me as my own audience. And we walk into a worship service and we say, wow, it made me feel good or I just didn't really feel it. We listen to a sermon and we say, oh, that just felt great or oh, I didn't really feel good. Who's the audience? We are. And Jesus says that's hypocrisy. If God is not our audience, we are hypocrites. Think about what your reward is. If our goal in a worship experience, in a church service, or a rally, a convention, whatever it is, is to feel good, to get all hyped up and be amazed, then that's our reward and that's all you're going to get. But if our goal is the glory of God, we might actually leave feeling miserable because Jesus might be calling us to repent. And that's more for his glory than any fervent, I feel so wonderful. Now, don't get me wrong. I hope there are times you are encouraged. I hope there are times you are built up and you feel good. I hope so. But if it is the Lord's will to crush us so that he may build us back up, then I pray that that would be the reward that we seek. Because he is our audience, and he is our great reward. So let's take to heart what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6. Let's learn how not to be hypocrites. Let us consider constantly whether or not God is our one true audience. Always start there. And let us consider constantly what really is the reward that we are seeking. Is it for ourselves? Is it how others see us, or is it the glory of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, I find this a very convicting sermon to preach, as I think we all struggle with this. And I know I do. Father, I'm, I'm up here preaching, and I'm hoping people are getting something out of it. And it's great to be appreciated and patted on the back and be, having people tell you that you preached a good sermon. But God, those things can also go to our head and worse, they can get into our heart and change our attitudes and our actions and our audience. 
So God, guard my heart against allowing the people sitting here from being my audience. And may you be my one true audience in all that I do. And Father, for each of us, may we guard our hearts. Maybe we don't struggle with fasting or prayer. Maybe we're good on those things. Maybe we're great at giving to the needy for the right reasons. But Father, may each one of us look at what am I doing to make others impressed or to keep others happy? And challenge us, Father, in those areas to change our heart and our attitude and our actions so that we would do those things for an audience of one. That you, even though we don't see you in that moment, will see what we are doing. And that whatever reward you see fit to give will be greater, far greater, than anything anyone else can give us. And God, if there's anyone here struggling with this, And feeling convicted, may they remember the words of Jesus. Repent. Turn away from these things. But but equally then to turn toward him. Because he is ultimately our great reward. He and the salvation he gives through his death and resurrection. And the grace that is there for all of us hypocrites and sinners. In your name we pray. Amen.